Sounds good. Do we do, do we actually have a, a name for the segment, or are we? Uh, we can call it. Uh, well, I, I think I sent you a couple options, but you were in grumpy mood, so you didn't respond to them. What were they? Like the the rally. Forget it. They were forget a bill. The rally up and down. Um, I had a. They were all really good. You know what we'll do? We'll we'll say that we don't have one, but if uh, f- fan feedback, why don't you somebody, oh, okay. like, give us give us an idea what they're called? Probably to them. Yeah, they were. They were. Hey there, Squash fans, and thanks for coming back to another episode of The Breakdown with myself, Connor O'Malley, and my co-host, Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. Well, you just heard it. We are trying a new segment, and we don't know what the name of it is just yet. So we thought maybe one of you might tap into your inner Squash fandom and offer up a name. In these segments, we're going to be picking a range of topics, both Squash and not Squash related, and sharing our insights but mostly our hot takes on that subject. Let us know if you have anything to add to the conversation, agree or disagree, and who doesn't disagree with Bill most of the time. And your comments might be shared during our episodes. You can reach out to us on any of the social medias or email us at squashradio at gmail.com. Quick thank you to our sponsor, ProSport LED, who actually has some very interesting developments going on they are strengthening their partnerships within the racket sports world. They are partnering up with Padel Plus to bring Padel courts into the United States and the UK. And just like their LED lights, these are premium quality courts at great prices. What's also unique about Padel Plus is their canopy roof structure that has all of the great qualities of getting an outdoor playing experience, but you have the dependability, you can play your match regardless of rain or snow. So if you know of anyone interested in lights or padel courts, please go ahead and put us in touch. Reach out to us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. What about this? This call is being recorded. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown with my co-hosts Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. Guys, it's been a minute. Welcome back. Happy New Year, boys. It's been a while. Yeah, PJ was absent from our Mustafa Asal interview. PJ has managed to be on every other squash podcast, by the way, uh, besides ours. Um, PJ, PJ, behind He's in demand. I know. Squash horse. I mean, squash podcast horse, some are saying. I'm not saying that. Some are saying. PJ, just for the record, he thinks he thinks you're cheating on us when you're doing squash TV. So that's just gives some context for well, squash, well, squash TV is one thing, but you're doing like the seven bounce chronicles. You're doing um, whatever his name is. Um, who's the guy? Barry Johnson, Barry, Barry Gibbs, whatever the guy's name is, who does all the podcasts. And uh, have you done around the court yet with um, with the with the English guys and the Scottish guys? I the haven't Irish guys? been invited onto that show yet, but uh, rest wow. assured that the moment I get the call up, I'll be there in a flash. <laughs> You'll, you'll you go running. Me. You know me. Meanwhile, I, hey, hey, PJ, could you do our podcast? Oh, I can't. I'm busy. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, uh, meanwhile, I listen to literally every podcast and PJ's on it. So whatever. <laughs> whatever, PJ. Fair uh, enough. PJ, we have to remember this when, because um, now that Bill is starting to get back in his MC role, you know, as he starts to do more and more events, you know. How was that, by the way? How, how did you enjoy your time? Yeah, it was awesome. It was uh, such a cool place. Houston is such a unique squash community for the United States. Uh, as, as I was telling people, you know, typically when you go to a squash tournament in the U.S., it's, it's very, for the lack of a better word, very white. Um, 
you know, this, the, it's just like going to a junior squash tournament. It's those same folks that are like dressed up, dressed to the nines, like they're going to, out to a fancy dinner. The women are dressed like in their, in their finest gowns and get ups here. It was very international. I felt like I was at black ball, honestly, um, very, a lot of Pakistanis, a lot of Egyptians, um, just a totally, totally different atmosphere than I've ever been to for a, a squash tournament in the United States. So it was really cool, cool club. The, the court, I guess people on squash TV were saying the ball was difficult to see, but you know what, in the end, those guys are putting on squash tournaments in the United States on the regular. So I give them credit. So they, they took a lot of crap on, uh, on squash TV, but it was fun. It was great emceeing again. Great, uh, great being out on court again. Yeah. I mean, for a new club coming in at that level prize money of, uh, you know, 110 K gold, and they're also doing the women's in the September is just huge. They even have ambitions, uh, in Houston of doing more, like more professional events and the community definitely was embracing it. Jahan Zeeb, the promoter there and, and club owner, really has done a great job over the past couple of years of bringing his top talent, not only managing top talent, bring them, but bring them back in that community so they get to know them. So there's a huge, huge fan base there. Yeah. Yeah. It was neat. It was, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, um, it, look, looking forward next, my next gig is the, the windy city open. So I'm looking forward to that out in Chicago. Yeah. And we'll be doing, um, a preview of that yeah. event. Yeah, absolutely. So How we, uh, we do with, your, with your own performance bill as far as getting back out there. I'm my, I'm my biggest critic. So no. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have my strengths and weaknesses. The highlight of the week was Saturday's semifinals. So yeah. Saturday morning in my hotel room, of course, I'm, I, I don't, I won't use notes. So that's that I refuse to use notes on court. So uh, when you're introducing anybody and typically when I do intros, I just do a quick intro, but for the semis and the finals, I like to do a little preamble getting the crowd pumped up. So Sitting in my hotel room all morning, rehearsing, wrote it down, had it all rehearsed. It was like, you know, welcome to the semifinals. Today we have two great matches featuring blah, blah. And I give a little synopsis of each match, go through it all. And for the first time all week, because it wasn't a full squash TV setup, so they didn't have like a microphone in my ear or anything. <laughs> so all week I was like wrangling players to be ready. I think I counted 13 players I had to go into the bathroom for and to get them out, to get ready to, you know, get them on court. So of course for Saturday, I'm so keyed up to make my speech correct. I saw them there, lost sight of them, my bad. I do my speech and I say, and now coming on to court for the first match. And then uh, one, one of the Houston squash guys bangs on the glass says, they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch it on squash TV, I'm like, oh. And I was like, I looked at the audience and said, well, how's everybody doing? <laughs> and then of course they both i they literally both... thought you were going to go into like a, a two-minute set of like well, jokes i was gonna do like yeah a, a squash player a pickleball player and a tennis player walk into a bar you know <laughs> the squash the, the, the squash player says what do you two guys do for exercise you know, <laughs> I, I think that would have been a good joke but uh, either way yeah so otherwise yeah it was it was good it was fun Enjoyed um, it, yeah. you, you know how it is pj you you did it during the u.s open in the early rounds it's tough to when you same players over and over five different times asking same them questions. same, yeah, same questions to... To so, jazz it up. Yeah. It's hard to jazz I, it up. But the crowd the crowd was appreciative. They were they were really good about it. So it's nice to have a good it was a good interactive crowd. The, Quickly, because Bill, I was in Houston and uh -huh. I did see a lot of your performance. Uh -huh. I can get do you want me to give notes on air or yeah, off air? Yeah, but no, please on air. No. Um you, on air, I'm ready. I, I, I could take I, I, I could take criticism. <laughs> I you did a great job. And the other big part is like you just you actually look like you're having a ton of fun out there and you really, I, I like the questions that you ask the players, you get them, you seem to disarm them probably, you know, who knows how, but, uh, no, well, you know, half a bill. <laughs> <laughs> they anyway. see me as a nice person. Yeah. So. so good to see you out there and, uh, yeah. look forward to seeing you do more.
Yeah, but yeah. Awesome. So Connor, we have a, a new format for today's show. It is a rundown style. So the, the, you, I don't know if you guys ever heard of Pardon the Interruption that's been on ESPN for like 20 years with Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser. Yeah, we might have to, ba- do we need to beep that out just in case of no, infringement I think license? Or? I, w- I would say that uh, imitation is the best form of flattery. Is that the term? I mean, we steal so much shit on this show from other people. <laughs> half, half the lines I use on this show are stolen from people. So. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think I can make all this. I'm not that clever, man. Not that clever. <laughs> Wow. So, All right. Yeah. So uh, that show has been very successful. Uh, so we're going to do uh, have topics. We have, uh, I think, six total topics. Um, we'll run them down. We'll each give our takes on them and have a good conversation. Is a little different. We'll still go back probably eventually to our ratings and rankings and interview shows. But this is just something different. We want to get a show in. We're in the heat of the squash season at, as right now post uh, New Year. So, um, yeah, just an idea we have and but, see if people appreciate. It. Hey, we, we'll still get the same, you know, 13 people to download it. So it doesn't you, really matter. You know, Bill. We're yeah. way up past 13 at this point. Yeah, it's true. 14. Yeah, I was just counting. We're in 150 countries. So yeah, my my mom listens. So that's good. We're getting She's... very low pickup in Zambia. That's yeah. that's a yeah. concern of us right now. Yeah, my mom subscribed and she passed away four years ago. So she's, you know, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like voting, you know, dead, you know, how like dead people vote, my, my dead, dead people subscribe too, I guess. Well, anyway, well, let's, uh, let's get into the segment and for the fan follow-ups or anyone, we are going to be, we don't know what to call this and we were doing a little bit of brainstorming beforehand and we said, you know what, let's let the fans be involved in this. Yes. So, yes. Me- meaning, that we're, meaning that we're not smart enough to come up with our own segment. We're out of ammo. We're, we are, we are we're out, out of gas. We're out of ammo. And oh, by the way, Connor, you forgot to say we're we're videoing this. Yeah, we are videoing this. How, where, and when it will be used? TBD. Uh, I wore my sunglasses and I like washed my hair. I took a shower. Look, before it's this. it definitely may see the light of day. We right. were, but wh- how you and when? Give me and... a heads up. I mean, I wish I'd have known. I would have actually put something on a bit more appropriate. Something decent. <laughs> yes. Your your white t. Well, you mean your white t shirt? We, we can do yeah, the fifteenth time out. We can do the 15th timeout at this point for like wardrobe changes. No, yeah. something else yeah. will go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly. You want to go we grab would. a quick shirt? Like, can you? No, no, I'm good. I actually, Paul, you, you know, you can pull off any style. So, like that, we knew. Thank you. Bill had to get camera ready. Yes, yes. Thank you. Ready. All, right, All right, Connor. First topic. You ready? You want me to intro or you want to intro? I know we talked about this that you were supposed to intro since it is your show. <laughs> yeah, I was going to do the overall intro okay. and then you're going to run through the topics. But so why don't you just keep running with it? Okay. Yeah. Peter doesn't like it when I talk too much on this. He made that clear in a very mean text he sent to me the other <laughs> night, by the way. A very mean text. It's so, true. The first topic, obviously, what is the first topic in squash right now, especially on the pro tour, is our last interview subject, Mustafa Asal. Uh, Mustafa was right after the Houston Open, of course, like, like right after we interviewed him, he got suspended for two months on the PSA tour. So thoughts on Mustafa Saul uh, and and his two month suspension. PJ, uh, give us give us uh, your insights. Uh, uh, for me, Mustafa Saul has been a breath of fresh air on on the tour since he's come on. He's obviously he's taken taken the tour by storm. Won the U.S. Open. Was he at nine, 18 years of age, nineteen years of age, or whatever it is, and 20, he's, he's, by the way. He, sorry? He's 20. He's 20. Okay, so he's just turned, he's just turned 20. But PJ's, re- PJ, PJ's research. PJ, good research. Just go ahead. Continue. Sorry about that. See what I mean? Every, I'm glad that everybody's now witness to the fact that you talk too much. Just let me finish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he's got that kind of wow factor about him. And he's a, whatever he does, he's compelling viewing. He's just one of those kids that's got bundles of talent. 
but a lot of charisma. I mean, not everybody's a fan of these celebrations and, and that kind of stuff, but he's, he's kind of breaking the mold. And I, I just feel that the tour needs him, if I'm honest. The two-month ban, I think he was fortunate with the two-month ban. There was rumors that he could have been significantly longer. It wasn't his first incident, the, the, the final incident, the, the kind of straw that broke the camel's back was a, there had been a long run of incidents where he had been warned and the PSA for me were left with no alternative other than to uh, award him with that, with that ban itself. So what, what, what was the incident that broke the camel's back? To be honest, I don't know what particular incident people are, everybody's talking about it on the, on the squash forums, but there, there were, there have been a number. If you look at the incidents where he, where he's been involved, he's been on the receiving end of some of those as well. If you look at the incident where Tarek Moment fires him into the side wall, I mean, that, that could have been extremely, if that had been the other way around, I mean, he, he could have actually, he could have killed Tarek. I just feel that hopefully he learns his lesson from this. I, I don't necessarily entirely blame Mustafa for the particular movement issues. He's obviously been coached to do that. This is not something I think he's inherited purely by himself. And I think the coaches should be part to blame or his team around him need to sit him down and he needs to get this. And to be honest, it's, that's all it is for me. It's a movement issue. It's his trailing leg when he's coming off the ball. Sometimes he can be a little bit physical, but there are other players who, who are just as physical with, with some of their movements, but it's the, the trailing leg that potentially could cause some real damage. If he tidies that up, then I don't see any, any issues at all. I think, and this is clearly not just an issue with other countries towards Egypt or against the South. It's his own fellow countrymen that also have a problem with him. So this is throughout the entire tour. Two months for me, I, I think he made the right decision not to appeal it because I think if all the other incidents had to come out, it, it could have been a heftier <clears throat> penalty. So, so two months. So he, that means he will not be able to play Windy City. Is that correct? No, that's correct. I think that was effective after after the, the last event he just played. Yeah, so he'll be out for February and March. So, if TOC wasn't postponed, would they have? Um, would he have missed TOC also, or did they wait and make sure that TOC was postponed before they announced the suspension? That's a good question. I don't think they would have really taken yeah. too much of that into consideration. It would have just been effective after after the 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 event and whatever of it, it tournaments he missed that was that was his own kind of downfall really so i think the the issue is because uh, because he is in the obviously fan engagement with that uh, with the psa is huge and i think the issue that more people have with it is the um the the, the opaqueness of why he was suspended like why doesn't the psa say look mustafa saw was suspended because of a b c and d and he's suspended for two months it would take away all the you know the theories and all the you know all the rumors and everything like that why don't they do that is there a reason that the psa doesn't say why people are suspended like they don't point to incident a b or c like every other sport does like if, if a football player gets suspended you see the replay on espn a thousand times be it on the field or some off the field incident you see it and you know so why doesn't the why is the psa being so I, I guess so closed doors about it's closed door about this. I don't know. I mean, you, I would have to speak to somebody uh, on the board there, but I can only assume that they just don't want to op open up another can of worms. They just want to give the decision. They give it, you know, they're suspending him and then just leave it at that. 
I don't know. Maybe Connor yeah. would have some more no, I, information I, um, in that. I don't really know. I, I think they could make their lives a bit easier if it was just a simple explanation. I, I agree, Bill, with you. Yeah, it, I think yeah, it would be I'm, better, I'm better for as, the fans. I'm, quote, not read in on this kind of stuff. But what I do know, Bill, going back to U.S. squash as an example, right? And there's the same thing of uh, a lack of transparency about lots of things. And sometimes transparency isn't as easy as one might think, even if you have aspirations of getting there. What I can say is transparency at the PSA is the aspiration and where we want, where they want to head. So the reasons why it may not be possible just yet aren't as um, aren't as obvious. And, you know, I, I do think one of the challenges is with the officials on the ground and then the coordination with the PSA and that kind of stuff. So like you'd want to, you know, and, and these, the officials aren't employees, right? These are part-time workers. These are contracted workers. So there's a lot in order to be fully buttoned up. There is a lot of moving parts to it. Yeah. None of those excuses fly with me. There are PSA is a professional squash association. It is a pro tour. They suspended their star player for two months and nobody knows why. That's it's just that's it's, that yeah. can't be that that cannot be that cannot happen to if you want to late raise your tour up to a level of professional professional level of the tennis and of other sports you need you need to know why your star player got suspended to two months he's not going to play in the Windy City Open which you know it's a huge event it's probably the biggest event this year now you know the TOC has been canceled of the season so I mean none of those excuses fly with me well, they I'll can say they're not buttoned up. I'll have to get it confirmed as well Bill but there, there's potential if it's two months effective. After Houston, Houston, he may potentially miss the British Open, which is late, late March. Wow, that is so. That I mean, yeah. Okay, so in the end, I think the people who get who miss out are the fans, obviously. So we're going to be looking at the Paul Call Ali Farag show for the next three or four major tournaments. Unfortunately, I mean, hopefully, Mohammed Al Sharbagi can you know, rev up his career a little bit. He's getting older, so he may be past his prime. But if he doesn't, like, what are we looking at? We're looking at basically a, a two-person dominated tour, which is not good for anyone. No, there, there was an article that um, Jonah Barrington just wrote on the on the PSA forum. And the, the tour is, it's not in a great place as far. It's great for Egypt and it's not Egypt's fault, but they're seven of the top 10 now are from Egypt, 11 of the top 20. When any nation dominates a field like that, it it's it's not a great impact on the on the game worldwide. I don't think. So we need the likes of your Elias's and your Joel Makins, and you know we need other countries to start challenging these guys. Paul Cole's in the mix, obviously, but uh, you're right. The, the the tour or the tournaments, if if you're not careful, will be as it was back back in the eighties and nineties, where it was the same two players that reached the finals of every single event, which then becomes monotonous. Right, right. We'll need we need El, we need Elias to step up. Obviously, I think to make this interesting. I don't mind that, like when Egyptian Egypt dominates, as long as there's seven or eight players who could win any tournament. I think that makes it compelling. So I don't care as long as you don't see the same two people. But I mean, I think we could see Paul Call and uh, Farag in the next three major tournaments make the finals. Which you know, good good to, for the battle for number one, I guess. But overall for the sport, I don't think that's healthy. But yeah. Too bad. It's a shame. He's such a good kid. He is very aware. I think Connor and I, I, what I took away from our interview with him, number one, he's a kid. I mean, he is a kid. Yeah. Don't forget, he, he's 20 years of age. Yeah. He, he's, but he's very aware of himself and what he's doing for the game of squash. I'm not sure he's aware of like the, 
maybe he's aware that he's tripping people and that his movement is bad, but he's aware of the social media aspect and like what he's trying to do for the game and try to make the game bigger than it is by, uh, by being compelling, if you, if you will. And I think that showed in our interview and in, in talks with him. So either way, nobody wins. Nobody wins. Do the fans lose out? Us all loses out. And I think the PSA tour loses out. So there's no winners in this at all. Wait, 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 wait. There's more? Hey, quick time out to hear a word from our sponsor. So how are your squash courts looking these days? Are the ball marks starting to add up? Do your courts need some attention and care? Well, in the U.S., there's a new solution coming your way. Pro Sport Court can be your one-stop shop for all your court care needs, from standard cleaning, painting, floor sanding, all the way up to lighting upgrades. Pro Sport Court can have your courts looking like new. Reach out to squashradio at gmail.com to learn more. Now back to our show. So transitioning on uh, to our next topic is is the impact. So <laughs> Paul Call. So Paul Call, I, I guess in March. So we're, we're doing this on January 22nd. So we already know in March that Paul Call is going to be the number one player in the world. How do so for someone who doesn't understand how the PSA rankings work and you guys are are more involved with the PJ, especially you know more about it than probably any of us. How do we know right now that Paul Call is going to be the number one player in the world on March 1st? And and is that a good thing that we know that already? It's math. <laughs> Thanks. It's it. Plain and simple. Plain yeah. simple. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just it, does this happen in other sports? Do we know that like you know, yeah, Rafael in- Nadal? It does. It does. Yeah, happen it happens in tennis. In tennis how, how, how is that? I mean, basically, right now it's in a weird position, and PJ probably knows more than I do. But it's a weird position that it's because of COVID and this. It's a it's a rolling eighteen month period. Uh, when you look at who's signed up for what, Ali Farag didn't participate in certain events. Paul Cole had. Uh, when you look at what events are coming on, what events he's won, what events are potentially down the line, the math just works out that Paul Cole will will take the lead. All right. Well, I, I, and is that good? Is that good that, that we know that ahead of time? So there's no surprise, basically. It's like usually I like to see when the rankings come out. Like like I look every first of the month. I like press the button, and I'm like, cool. I'll look at this person. They moved up. They moved down. Does everybody know like what their ranking will be on February first? Do they only know that Paul? I mean, on March first, um, or does Paul, only Paul Call know he's going to be number one? I mean, I think part of this is it's a huge headline for many reasons. First time a New Zealander has done this in in a long time, in the men's game ever. Yeah. So with big news stories, once you have the information and they chose to drop it right now, it's like we knew the math about probably a couple like weeks ago. Okay. So so, que- so question for both of you right now, if both top of their game, both firing on all cylinders, if you had a thousand dollars that was burning a hole in your pocket and Paul Call played Ali Farag, neutral territory, uh, glass court, who would you put your thousand dollars on? Me personally, I'd go with Farag. You still you look at the head-to-heads. He's got a fifteen-four lead on Paul Cole. If they're both fit, early rounds, Ali, you'd have to say Ali is the more superior from a squash standpoint. If you look at, and this is full credit to Paul Cole, when he's beaten Ali, the run through Ali's had a couple of tough matches, as has Paul, but Paul deals with them di- 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 differently because he's a lot physically physically he's a lot stronger than Ali, a mm-hmm. lot fitter than Ali. When Ali's had a couple of chunks taken out of him and they get through to the semis or the finals of these events, then you would put your money on the coal. But if you gave an opportunity, level playing field, both fresh out the gate, I'd put my money on 
Ali, you look, you, again, the head-to-heads just, just say it all for me, really. Yeah, Connor. So I've made a couple mistakes of hypothetically, because I don't actually bet on squash, but uh, hypothetically betting, and I've bet against Ali, and he keeps winning. So yeah. he's surprising that it's really hard to bet against him, and he just really is completely on form. I think what Paul Cole has done to get his game up to this this level, it's remarkable, like absolutely remarkable um, what he's done, and his physicality is just off the charts. So I, I agree with PJ, like straight up head-to-head, fresh match. I think Ali has more weapons. Um, getting to the finals, it depends on that path, and if he hasn't had as much uh, underneath him, Paul Cole has maybe an edge, but I think Paul's still improving his game. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. that's 15, four right now. And it'd be interesting if you go back over this year and you start the clock again. Right. Paul. So the next three big tournaments, uh, we have Windy city, we have, um, Manchester in the British open. Um, so we do have, and I believe call and, um, and Ollie, I, I don't, the draws obviously haven't come out yet and things could happen injury wise and life wise, mm-hmm. especially with COVID all they're going to play in both, all three of those. So I think by the time we get, I think the end, the last of those three is the British Open, PJ. Is that correct? Uh, Windy City, British Open. Yep. So Manchester's before British? Manchester, he's after. Oh, it's after. So Manchester's the last. Manchester's the last event. So after Manchester, I think we'll get a a clearer picture about who is the best player in the world, right? If if both of those guys are playing in all of them. So um, yeah, all credit to Paul Call. And obviously I saw the live stream with Joey yesterday uh, where he did. And he got a little emotional talking about being number one and his reactions when he found out he was number one. So obviously it means a lot to him. But as with, you know, like I asked Ali in Houston, uh, there's a little difference between being the, the hunter and the hunted. So now that he is number one in the world, even though it's not official, he's going to step on court in Chicago as the presumptive number one. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that kind of pressure. So question for you guys, who, again, you guys know more about the like the you know workings of the game than I do. So I look at Joel Macon has a lot of Paul calling him when it comes to the physicality and the fitness and all that. What, what is Joel Macon lacking and why, why hasn't he made this leap and Paul call has, what, what, what would you guys say would be the main reason? If you look at Paul Cole's development over the last 18 months to two years, he's worked extremely hard on his technique. He's changed his grip. He's changed his swing that has enabled Paul to utilize the front two corners a bit more and that for me would be the area where Joel Makin would make his most improvements. It's not a case of Makin being, I mean, he can't really get much fitter than he is. But if you look at Paul Cole's ball control now, he's using a lot more of the front wall. There's a lot more variations in his heights and his paces are hitting. And when you watch Joel play, there isn't that same expansive variation. It's a, there's a lot more activity kind of in the middle third of the front wall from Joel Makin. He doesn't take the ball in as much as he possibly could. He's got the ability to do it, but it's all, he, he relies a lot on that, that physical strength and wearing his opponents down. I think if he could develop a bit more of a short game and a bit more use of height when he's in, he's just uh, up and down the wall, kind of rallying, that would be a huge improvement for him. And it wouldn't, wouldn't take long for that to develop. I don't think. And that's what yeah. Paul Cole's doing better than Joel at the moment. Right, right. So, so did you guys watch the stream yesterday with Joey uh, Barrington, the Facebook stream? It was really interesting, and Joey asked a lot of good questions. But, but on a lighter side, I mean, Paul Call is good looking, man. 
I mean, he, he, I mean, I am, I am a married man, and I was, I, I was listening to Joey's questions, but I could only stare at Paul Call's hair. His hair is ridiculous. He like ten times. If you watch it on the stream, like ten times, he ran his fingers through his hair and like pushed his hair back, and it fell back down perfectly, like right to where it was. And Joey has good hair, and Joey looked like, like, Joey looked like a like a hundred year old man with bad hair next to Paul. Paul Call, Paul Call is good looking. There's no question about it. So. It's a shame that Squash isn't bigger because he would be like on a Videl Sassoon commercial like Vetus Gerolitis was back in the day. So I just had to get that out because I was like, I had to rewind it to listen to the questions, to be honest with you, because I was just staring at Paul Calls there. A bit of a man crush going on there, Bill. I, I, I yeah, do. It's not, right. A little yeah. bit. I mean, in the end, like between him and like Naley Jilly, are, like, are they like the best looking couple of any sports couple in the history of sports? Is there a better, is there somebody who's better? I tried to think last night, believe it or not. That's what I do be, it. You'd be, you'd be hard pushed. Yeah, you'd be hard pushed. Yeah. And I think Paul's better looking than her. <laughs> no offense, Naley. He is sitting next to Joey, so it's quite easy to look good. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, Joey. Oh, you know, and you, well, you and you know, you know, PJ, that Joe, uh, Joe is Joey is jealous of his hair, like because Joey has Joey has to do all kinds of shit to his hair, like put in ponytails and buns and crap like that. Otherwise, yes. it's just all of the mess. Paul Call like looked like he just like runs his. I don't know. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm getting a little too bothered by it. So. <laughs> But either way, great, great interview. You don't have to chance if you didn't have a chance to see it, watch it without pictures once so that way you're not staring at Paul Call and then watch it afterwards. So there you go. Okay. All right. Um let's moving did you, did you moving want me on. to comment on uh, the Joel Macon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who? who? I, yeah. So before before that little interruption and sorry about that. Little sorry. stream of consciousness about Paul Cole. Do, are you, would you in all seriousness, Bill? If a life-size poster was available of Paul Cole, like how quickly would you buy it? Would would I have when I was younger? Yes. Now, I mean, I'm a. Do you mean like 48? Uh, like you would have done when you're 48? <laughs> like how no, much I mean, younger? Like like come on, my my, my or wife. You, wants sorry, you just want a blow up face of the hair? But it's like, am I going to take the Farrah Fawcett poster above my bed down for him? No, I'm not. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> no, I'm not. We're just getting a barometer. All right. No, on the, on PJ's answer on on joel was far more uh in depth and he has a way better read on that my thing is he needs more more like weapons in the arsenal um and he's still i think it's got to be a motivator though to see paul cole get world number one with the similar physicality aspects and he's like okay and he's he's what two years younger than paul so he's he's really getting that zone and when you look at when how long it took for Paul to really break up those things. Like he was in the top 10 for a while before he, he closed that gap. So yeah. what I, what I would say is it's impressive where Joel has been heading and there's a light, at the other end of the tunnel. Now uh, I would say the, the celebration. I, I, I love Joel's attitude as well. He doesn't take any crap. He gets stuck into any player on the court. He does. He doesn't bow down to anybody. He's, he's tough. He's hard nosed and he's all about business. And that is something that will hold him in good stead. He doesn't fear anybody. And I, I love that attitude. And I think if, if he can get that aspect, he's working very closely with David Evans, uh, the Welsh national coach. They're doing a bit of work together and David's trying to help him as much as he can. David had one of the best short games of his era. So if he can transition or transfer some of that into Joel's game, then I see a very bright future for, for Joel. Yeah. I wish him all the best with that because if he gets that part of his game sorted out, he's going to be so hard to beat. So yeah. hard. well, with, with, um, with a, uh, you know, there's a solid Ali, but, um, with, um, Tarek obviously getting a little bit older and Mohammed Al-Shabagi getting a little older, there, there's a chance the top five 
can be call uh, Diego Aleash and Macon, which would be you know a pretty dynamic shift of the of the Egyptian yeah. dominance. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, it'll be celebrated because I think there is a lot of anti-Egyptian sentiment out there on the on the squash boards. Um, a lot of the people celebrating Paul Call being number one, you would have thought that they uh, you know. I don't know that they won the lottery or something like that. They're they're extolling it so much, but um, for for better or for worse, I suppose. But moving on, moving on. Um, so let's get a little more domestic here. We're uh, looking at the uh, College Squash Association. Heart of their season is going on right now. I mean, today is Saturday, the twenty second. There are so many good college squash matches and big college squash matches happening this weekend. But the big news was um, Harvard lost. Harvard got beat by UPenn. They were two time defending national champions, undefeated for the last two years. Um, on the men's included, side, just on to... the men's side for, yeah, the women, the women haven't lost in, um, in a millennium, but, um, yes, they, you know, last year there was no college squash season because of COVID, but the previous two years, they won the, uh, the Potter cup, I believe it's called. Um, but Penn stopped them, um, stopped the streak, beat them. And now there's kind of a, a, a new, a new top dog in college squash. The, the celebration of Penn beating Harvard did not quite, um, match when Yale beat Trinity to stop their domination. Um, I, I think it's good for college squash. Nobody wants one team to, to dominate, I guess, unless I was always happy when Trinity dominated because they were, again, looked upon as like an outsider by the, by the posh Ivy League schools and Trinity had all the international players and the Ivy League schools were, were too good to do that. And they were doing it the right way. And they, the, um, the blatant, I, I can't even say the underlying racism because it was so blatant, the racism towards Trinity when they were in their streak, it was, ridiculous pen beating harvard it's kind of like you know the, the the they've they've all gone the other way they've all all in, in uh recruit international players now so there's no real arch enemy in squash anymore so uh, uh harvard losing I, I mean it was good to see somebody else win but i mean did anybody really care if harvard lost Do you guys follow this at all do you care at all i, I mean i follow the college squash obviously i've had quite a bit of involvement with um, some of the teams over the years did a little bit of work with yale and um harvard for a a couple of seasons when I was living up in the Boston area. I know Mike very well. Um, I don't, he won't be phased. Mike won't be phased. I mean, some people might think it's a, a bad loss, but 38 match winning streak, as you said, back to, I think, 2018. They, they've dominated the men's game. Yep. The result, it was 6-3 against Penn. And in that, there were a couple of five setters, 11-9 in the fifth. On another day, the results could have been slightly different. Yep. But full credit to... Um, Gilly and Jack down at Penn. I think they've done a, a, a wonderful job of recruiting. I think Jack and Gilly have just done a, a brilliant job down at Penn of creating an environment for the players that they feel extremely comfortable with. Um, Gilly was a, a very good player of, in his own right back in the day. And I think he knows how to train uh, the kids properly. I think it will be quite, the training there will be very specific and relative to the individuals, not just a kind of a, a blanket training system right across the board. And players want to play for him. He's a great personality and uh, he's a likable guy. And I think he's he's going to, well, if he hasn't already, he's put Penn on the map now for a lot of potential international recruits. They're going to want to go and play for, for Penn and, and Gilly. So it, it's the We'll see what happens over the next kind of season or two. But as of now, he's got an extremely deep squad that could be around for some time. But if you look at the way that Penn have sliced through their season, I mean, there are 11 wins, no losses. Eight of those wins were nine love. Yeah. Two of those were eight one. 
Yep. So they're, they're, they're battering their opponents. Again, that's an indication of the, of their depth. They got some, some good matches coming up and yeah, it'll all be really, sussed out. It'll be yeah. sussed out in the seating. You know, it'll all come down to the seatings, obviously, but the CA men's championship, I'm hoping I, I because you typically when it goes into the, you go into the men's championships, you know, who's going to win before it starts. Like, yeah. cause somebody's so strong, be it Harvard, be it, you know, be it Trinity back in the day, or, you know, the team, it would be nice to go in, not knowing who's going to win. And this could be yeah. the year because there is a yeah. lot of close teams that are very close. It's so, been like um, that over the past couple of years. I mean, yeah, not, Har- not since Harvard's Harvard been so on the strong. men's side. Yeah, yeah. But before that, there was a period where there were a lot of teams in the running, but, um, I do think it's, it's nice to have, uh, new names at the top you know i think i mean we have to remember harvard historically has gone on 10-year winning streaks of just winning everything so i think i mean if a uva or drax order come in in the mix and just start to get a streak going that mm. would be a new headline a new thing so yeah. i do like seeing uh new players in the mix and the build on what pj says i think the journey of what uh gilly and jack have been doing at penn is really interesting and they've they were down you know down in the ranks and uh, Gilly has made it a priority to he wants to win a national championship and he he makes that clear to his team and um, bringing on the right people to help do that and so it's it's kind of exciting to see that this might be the year and by the way interesting circumstances with COVID that um, you know with that rule that the a- Andrew Douglas who would have been a senior graduating can play this year and he's yeah. there you know one or two depending on the day i believe he's been one though um how, how is victor cruin playing for his eighth straight year at harvard is that covid related or <laughs> nobody 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 paying attention i mean it seems like doesn't it seem like victor cruin has been playing for harvard forever yeah i mean shout out victor i mean he's it's incredible i was shocked when i looked at the roster and saw that he was playing number one for them i was like are you serious he's still playing for them maybe i don't know maybe maybe he's getting his doctorate there or something you'd have to say that the you know hats off to to the coaches and the you know some of these college coaches Back in the day, I mean, we're we, we starting to see now quite a few players after they finished their college careers are going in onto the pro tour. Now, when I first came over here in 2003, 2004, that was unheard of because the standard of the play just was average at best, really. But now the coaches that are coming into these positions uh, generally have played at a high level. They've coached at a high level and you're seeing for the first time in a very long time that certain players now are actually finishing their college squash careers, better players than when they joined. They, they, it, when I first came over, kids, if anything, just went backwards when they, when they went into the whole college system. But now we've got a few players who are kind of carrying the flags, really. You've got your Sobies and your Fectors and Ali Farag come through. Uh, the college system and gone on to the pro tour. So they're starting to see that there is a pathway through to, I mean, Timmy Brownell's giving it a go, Spencer Lovejoy, Andrew Douglas will be going pro after his college career. And I think you've got to credit the coaches for a lot of that, I feel, that they've managed to maintain and improve their players where they're in a position to even contemplate doing that. And I think also just, um, I mean, those are the really tough years. So if you're talking 18 to 22 on average uh, on a PSA tour, those are the tough years to get um, everything underneath you. Like those, it's going to be hard to have breakthrough performances. So the exception, uh, like a Sal, who's able to get the top five <laughs> at yeah. that age. Yeah. So yeah. it's like having that support, building that network, getting that education, getting that exposure, being around there, I think is a great opportunity uh, yeah. for, for those players. 
would be remiss not to talk about the women's game, uh, the women's CSA and Harvard yeah. with Harvard women uh, rolling along. They have a bunch of tough matches coming up. So I think Trinity Trinity, they have on the 28th, they play Yale on the 30th. So they, they, they continue to roll along. Um, they picked up American junior number one, uh, Marina Stefanoni, and she actually plays number two for them. Um, number one, uh, PJ, um, Hannah Moatz familiar with her. No, no, neither am I. She's playing number one for her and, and, and running through everybody. I think the only person who's giving could give her a match, it seems, is the number one from Colombia, who is a, a, an Egyptian player. Egyptian, like, yeah. She's yeah. 24th in the world. So, yeah. So Harvard women still rolling along. So, again, all these matches are going to play out over the next two weeks, and we'll kind of see where everybody lands. And um, hoping hoping the bad part is, just like what we just talked about, is you can't go to the matches. I would, I would get in my car today and drive down to Yale and see Harvard play. I mean, Yale play Princeton. Um, not having fans at college matches, it, it feel bad for the kids. I mean, you know, it's just, that is such a yeah, huge part yeah, of, of the college yeah. game is the fans and their students. And, you know, to go through this for, for now, you know, at least they're playing this year, but yeah, not to have fans there is a bummer. So hopefully, hopefully for the championships, maybe the tide will turn and we'll be able to, you know, hopefully the rules of this, like, I think the men's championship is in Philly and the women's is in Harvard. Um, so hopefully maybe the rules will have changed by then, but I'm looking forward to the individual championships. It'll be like a PSA event. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> you know, yeah, pretty much uh, you, uh, Yusef Ibrahim playing against like Victor Kroon in the final <laughs> would be a pretty it's good final, right? Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty crazy. So, um, so one of the biggest news things in squash that happened over the last couple of weeks, um, is in this, uh, for better or worse, this always happens whenever there is a TV scene that comes out where there's squash and a famous person is playing squash. Uh, on a TV show or in real life, it gets it gets big news, and people are always saying, "Geez, could we get this person to be a spokesman for squash?" So, um, the uh, the clips of uh, Afterlife, which is a a streaming show uh, starring Ricky Gervais, he did an interview, and in his interview, he talked about the uh, this season three uh, where he uh, has a squash scene against his brother in law um, and uh, and and his boss, I guess his brother in law and his boss, and it, it made uh, made big headlines in on the squash in the squash boards and uh, online. And we uh, we got to see Ricky, who talked about that he was an avid squash player and an avid tennis player. The video didn't show it. He looked pretty bad. Um, well, you can still love it, but not be uh, first. For I mean, sure. Bill, come on. Look, look, are we looking in the mirror here? Or no? Fair enough. I, I I'm one of those people for sure. But I I could I could honestly say that I would thrash Ricky Gervais in squash. <laughs> thrash. So it was cool seeing Ricky Ricky do that and talk about squash and uh, and, and nice to see a squash scene on on that show. I watched season one of that show. It was it's 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 a kind of a funny it's not a typical ricky gervais show it's it's a little depressing at times obviously it's about his wife who passed away had cancer and he videoed like there's videos he looks back on and he kind of flashes back and forward and how he's getting on with his life post being uh you losing his young wife to, to a disease so it's it's not a um a rollicking funny show by any means um but it does have some humor to it so but there is squash involved uh and pj you watched that show correct i literally just watched the final episode two days ago i'd just been binge watched the whole thing just comedy genius i mean every every actor in there is a, is a comedian and they all just the, the the way the casting was done i just thought it was just just pure brilliance from from ricky and it is it's, it's shedding making light of the matter of you know one of life's most depressing things really and the way that he does that i just i thought was just comedy genius from ricky He's brilliant in it. The squash wasn't great. You were right, but you could tell he could play you, mm -hmm. with, with what he was trying to do. But great show. Anybody that hasn't watched it, I highly recommend sitting down and having a, having a watch through it. And, and 
persevere for the first couple of episodes because it, it's I think it's brilliant personally. Yeah. It, uh, did you cry at all during the final season? I, there weren't many episodes where I didn't shed a tear. Actually, well, I mean, did, you, I mean, yeah. you, you cry when you talk about you and Joey together. So yeah. that's what I'm wondering, like, what's your what's your threshold? That's, that's, more frustration. that's more frustration than anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, a tear drink. I'm a sensitive guy, you know, I'm, I've got I've got a soft side to me, believe it or not. As, so, a, as do I, as do I, PJ. As do I. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the, I haven't, so seen, that, it. I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but um, you remind me of, of Netflix and, and Squash and the Queen's Gambit, you know. Weird, yeah, the, the Queen's Gambit squash scene was a thousand times better than the afterlife squash scene from what I've seen. I've only seen video. I haven't <laughs> actually watched it in context of the show, but the Queen's Gambit was was actually decent. So, hey, PJ, do you know where that squash scene took place? Afterlife? No, I, I did actually look it up. It was a, the village was called Tanbury, was it? I think it was called Tanbury. Mm -hmm. But it was an it was a proper it's like an official squash club, wasn't it? I, I'll have to do some research on that. I don't know. But the Queen's Gambit, I think, was done at um, maybe Credit Suisse in Canary Wharf. Oh, interesting. It was funny that uh, the, the court that they used for the uh, for the Ricky Gervais scene was so banged up. Like the yep. black. They hadn't, they hadn't painted those walls in 20 years. <laughs> but that's that's like so many other clubs in the UK. That was your quintessential diehard squash club. That would have oh, been okay. put up in maybe the late 60s, early 70s. There were clubs like that all over the country from that. And fortunately, some of them are still standing and you're, that's where you get your real kind of diehard squash fan. You go in and put coins in to turn on the lights. There you yeah. Go. Oh, interesting. So, so what, are you, what are you guys watching uh, streaming-wise? So I, I know I, I've just watched, uh, finished watching Cobra Kai um, uh, season. Yeah. yeah. Did, you, did you finish the watched season? watched it last night. Yeah, I watched the last one, season four last night. Yeah, it was good. If you, if you like Karate Kid at all, you should watch that show because it, it is it is kind of, rem, you know, you reminisce about being younger and stuff. But the, And I was the same way with the original Karate Kids is nobody gets hurt during those shows. Like, those guys kick the shit out of each other during those karate matches. They, hit, they kick each other in the face, like, so hard. And, yeah. like, nobody gets hurt. They all just kind of, like, person gets a roundhouse kicked in the side of the head. He just like rubs the side of his head and gets up and starts fighting again. And they're kids. Does that stuff, is that real? Like, does that really happen? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, it's a very uh, good acting. Oh my God. It's like, like, can you imagine junior parents, like, like juniors going to like a, a karate tournament and like the kid getting the shit kicked out of them like that. And like everybody's cheering and they're, they're all good with it. It's crazy. I, I, uh, I'm not up to season four. I'm on like two maybe. And, but I, what I really love about it is just, taking a whole different angle and a different spin and kind of making Johnny the protagonist, you know, and getting a different perspective on it. It really is interesting what that, that does to the, the original narrative and yeah. suddenly like, uh, you know, the other guy looking like the bad guy, right. Or the aggressor. So it was just interesting. Right. And what, yeah. what, along those lines, I've been watching a uh, better call Saul, ah. which, which is like the, um, uh, do you know that one pj yeah I've, I've watched a couple of yeah i just kind of struggled with that i didn't persevere with it enough yeah no i i get why it's a little bit but similar to breaking bad it took a while to get into but then once you go through the series and so this is yeah. giving the backstory to um saul goodman who you know his actual original name was jimmy mcgill which threw me off and confused me for a while so anyway it was just cool I haven't, I haven't watched, I, I got, I, I'm, I finished Breaking Bad finally, but I haven't started Better Call Saul, but I'm definitely going to, um, the, the one that's coming up. So this is a big season for streaming. And so last night, um, season four, season four of, uh, Ozark dropped. So have you guys, are you guys both Ozark guys? Oh yeah. I watched the first season. That was it for me. Tough, tough show to watch at times. I mean, it's, it's a brutal show. So I'm very excited to start watching this season. I mean, that is a show. I mean, 
the first 10 minutes of the first episode of, of Ozark were so visually like in your face and stunning when no, no spoiler alerts, when Dell killed all those people and they got burned, burned burned him in the vat of acid. I mean, well, you know what? That's like, it's like six years ago if you haven't watched it by now, but either way, I'm still going to say spoiler alert, right? Yeah. Spoiler alert. So super excited for, for season, um, for, for the, for this season coming up, I guess there's six episodes or seven episodes dropping. Then the rest of the episodes are dropping over the summer, but that stranger things is coming up. And, um, the crown, the new crown seasons are coming up. Back, so yeah. a, a lot of stu- a lot of stuff to watch. It'll be interesting. Hopefully, we'll be out of the this Omicron, Omicron phase, and we'll be able to do stuff. So we won't have to sit in front of our TVs and stream mm-hmm. stuff all, our whole lives, and we'll actually be able to, to live our lives. But lastly, on on stars and squash and things like that, an F F one driver is that what it's called? F one Formula One, yeah. Formula One driver playing squash and got a, a lot of uh, a lot of news. Uh, do you guys know who that guy was? Yeah, Carlos. Do you follow that? I, I don't watch that. Yeah, I mean, he's one. He's a Spanish uh, player. There's a Spanish driver, and I forget which team he, he's on. He's one of the big ones. But yeah, I mean, he has like 12 million fans or even higher. And which um, one was he on the squash video? I couldn't tell. Was he with the hat or without? Like with? Which I one forget was which he? one. But yeah, was he it, the one it, who dove or no? I think he lost the point. So <laughs> oh, he lost the point. Okay, so I that was that. So I know which one he was. And yeah, yeah, it was interesting because that got so much play, and people are like, "Hey, come out and play!" And da da. And I was like, "Who is this guy? I have no yeah, idea." Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't follow. So you haven't watched uh, the Formula One? So you, you you should watch it. It's it's just interesting where, and this is something I think on the tour we need to do is is really taking people behind the scenes, and it's been a huge boost to Formula One that mm-hmm. Netflix series where they're getting new fans and right and everything right. drawing attention and what you see is it's not just about the race it's about everything that goes on and how to, how the players interact you know how people are tensions that exist behind the scenes which we have in squash i mean oh, pj man. knows us all too well oh yeah um and so i think it'd behoove so, us to do it so, so, wow good word behoove by the way connor um w- tell me this you've watched the show does that compel you to sit down and watch the races or you just watch, find, you just see the result. So my fear is like with squash, what people, what would happen is if there was a show like that, and if I, I fear this is what I would do with this F1, if I watch it, I'd be compelled to watch it and I'd get into the stories, but I to sit down and actually watch the race, I probably wouldn't. I would just probably, when I read the paper on Monday, I'd say, oh, so-and-so won. Yeah, I saw the show on Saturday. I know who he is. I'm glad he won, but I wouldn't actually watch the sport. So when you look at the the sort of like when you go from like people who don't know about the sport to then like casual consumer all the way up to like avid or super fans, mm. the only way to put people through that pipeline is exposure. Right. So True. what has happened is and for me and just I mean, here an example, if you had said this three years ago, I mean, like I have no clue. Right. For, so mm. I'm aware and I will tune in and follow certain players when certain things occur. Mm-hmm. Watch watching a full mat of a full race day. No, no appeal. Can't do it just yet. But maybe that happened with golf too, right? So right. odd question with that I have, and thinking about the Queen's Gambit because I remember when that came out, and everybody's like, "Geez, if there was a show about squash like that, squash would blow up." And I'd look how big chess is going to become because of this. And of course, it yeah. didn't. It, it was a phase, and people, you know, watched it, and it was like cool. And chess was cool for like a week afterwards. Chess it, is booming still it's not booming anymore because of queen's gambit i disagree when you look at the metrics of like go ahead show me the metrics connor i want you to show them to me yeah i mean i, I, me, I break them I, out i mean the number of sales of chess boards has gone up coaching the number of like so what let me let me see those numbers i mean i could say that too it doesn't really make it real do you want me to go research <laughs> I do. right now i do okay. i do 
I do. If you're I'm sure you could find me, it if you wanted to, Bill. If you're going to contradict me, then I want you to come up with these 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 That's metrics. Right. But let, my point is, no, 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 Bill. No, 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 no. We can do that. Well, that's why I was going to. No, let's we'll do, we'll do it after. Let's keep. So my question, my question was before I got interrupted with your metrics that you don't really have or don't really know about that now you're going to look up is, would you rather have a, a streaming series about like F1 where it's real and it's like with real people and it's more of a documentary or would you rather have with squash? Would you rather have a um, drama? The, the whole, it's all of like a, a, a drama about squash or a documentary like F1 about squash, which would be more effective in putting people through the pipeline as you, uh, as you put it. I, I mean, think the, the, the life behind the scenes without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. If, okay. you, if you're saying, I mean, the answer is both. Um, but if you had to pick one or the other, definitely behind the scenes. Okay. That's a, just my question. Don't need to get all upset at me, Connor. Relax. Take me. Bill, I, you, you, uh, you're the one not accepting cause it didn't fit your reality. So doesn't fit my narrative, <laughs> your narrative. Yeah. But yeah. Well, so, since when has that changed? <laughs> you look surprised. True. All right. Let's everybody take a deep breath. We don't need to be get, getting yelling at each other. Be nice. Be nice, people. <laughs> it's just you that needs a deep breath, Bill. It's just you. We're all good. Do you want me all to right. just put the mirror up? Like, <laughs> just put the mirror up. All right. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. So, a couple more topics left and, and we'll get through this. Um, so, talk to, and I, I asked this, I was able to take my eyes off the camera and stop looking at Paul Call's beautiful hair. I actually asked the question of Joey and Paul about whether coaching in squash was overrated and whether coaches get too much credit. I asked it in the realm of in-game coaching because with COVID, there's no such thing as in-game coaching anymore. So I asked, Paul Calls had his big, most success since COVID started, really. That's really started his trajectory and there's no in-game in coaching now. And so is that overrated? But what I really thought about for this topic was Rob Owen, Paul Calls coach. He is getting so much credit for Paul Call's turnaround. And I'm going to ask PJ, because you are a coach. I mean, it, did, did, does Rob Owen get too much credit or does Rob Owen get proper credit? And how important is it that you were talking about David Evans and Joel Macon? And so, so talk to us, our coach, do coaches get too much credit? And if, you know, would Paul Call have also made these strides with another proper coach or is Rob Owen really the savant that everybody's making him out to be? I, I guess it's, it's hypothetical. We'll never know whether Paul would have reached the same success. By going somewhere else, I think the amount of credit that Rob gets is it's probably, it's about right. If you look at his players historically, every player that's gone and worked with him has improved. Sarah Jane Perry, George Parker, uh, he's done obviously good work with Naila Gillis and, and Paul Cole. Paul Cole was already pretty established before he went over to see Rob. Rob has certainly added some new dimensions to his game. Credit to Paul Cole. He's one of those players for me who's maximized every ounce of his uh, ability and he will be the best, he will be the best player he, he possibly could be because he's gone out and he's sourced the best in the business in all aspects, the, you know, the best fitness trainers, you know, you, you look at his diet. And he did the same thing with, with Rob. He went over and he felt that Rob could bring something to his game that he was lacking. And it, it was a relationship that just clicked. The, the way that Rob coached suited Paul's game. Rob speaks a lot with Rodney Martin. You can see a lot of Rodney Martin's influence in the way that coaches. So if it was just a flash in the pan and a one-off player that Rob 
Owen had produced, then there would be more of a case for it, it was overhyped. But he's done a, a very good job with a number of different players. So he's, you know, his coaching has, has stood the test of time, really. Even though he hasn't been in the game as long as you likes of Rod Martin and David Pearson and people like that, he's had a lot of success with the players that he's worked with. So therefore, you'd have to say that he's a good he is a good coach. So I would say that the amount of recognition for him is is probably very apt. Certain players are over coaches are definitely overhyped, and there are more coaches that I feel they don't get the recognition that they deserve. Personally, I mean, I think this is the classic like horse of the jockey scenario, and. So I think the answer comes down, it's it's a combination of the two. And right. It just kind of depends. And I think that w- with Paul quickly, there have been a lot of players who get to the top echelon but never cracked the number one spot. Like, it's really hard to get up there. So hard to play that scenario. What would have happened if, if Rob hadn't been involved? But then part of it's getting there and then staying there. And how does he do? So I think this will play out over time. Right. And there's a lot of players who get that number one spot and then don't stay there. I, I think... Really, and I, I stress this a lot on multiple interviews, is it, it is, even though it's an individual sport, it's about the team that you're surrounding yourself with. And I think those players who don't surround themselves with good teams, whatever that is, manager, strength training, all that, they can't do it alone. Like right. there's just too many moving parts and they are the the race car, but you need everything else involved in it to uh, to help fine tune it and keep it keep it going. So, so let, let's get a little bit just because I've always interested in this topic and, and, you know, you see it in the junior squash world way too much in my, in my opinion. How about in-game coaching? So Paul called said in-game coaching is very important to him. So tell like there is no in-game coaching allowed right now in, on the pro squash tour. And before that, you'd see like the, the players who had their coaches and could have their coaches travel with them. So they'd have players, talk, people talk to them. But for the most part, a lot of times it was like their fellow countrymen would go to their corner in between games and talk to them. Like, what do they tell them? PJ, could you give us a little insight? Like, like when I'd see like Tarek Momo would play and then the hammer of Thor would go over and talk to him after he lost the first game and sit down and like talk to him. What is he telling him? Like, what could he possibly be telling him that Tarek Momo doesn't already know? Well, it's, when, when you're in the heat of the battle yourself, you're not, it's very difficult to, to get a full idea of, of what's happening within the match. Sometimes you're, you're so wrapped up on the competing or trying to execute your game plan that there may be a couple of obvious things that you're missing that you can't see when you're, when you're actually out there playing yourself. So the, there, are, there are many different styles of coaching. Tarek, if somebody, let's say that Mossad goes over and speaks to it could just be a friendly word in his ear, you know, you can you know, keep your chin up or your opponent's getting tired, or it could be a little bit more technical depending on the relationship between the player and, and the, the person that's come over. It could be very technical, you know, keep exposing the backhand side or, you know, keep working him into the front left corner because he goes cross court and then look to punish him with the volley and that kind of stuff. But for me personally, sometimes it was just nice, if, especially if you're traveling away and, you know, you're going to these foreign countries, it's just to have a familiar voice. One of your, your fellow countrymen just comes over and just says a couple of little things. It's just a little bit of a reassurance maybe that, um, that you are doing the right kind of thing. So it, it all depends on the situation itself. Uh, in, in-game coaching is a massive part of the game, massive part of the game, because there can be certain aspects that are just gaping that, that you're not seeing while you're out there. As I said, you're, you're so caught up in the moment and the, and the battle itself that you're, you miss out on certain parts. So I agree with Paul in as much as that advice that you get in between games, it's, it's huge. 
it's it's massive yeah i think it's invaluable to be honest and the two big things i would say is when you're playing is you don't have uh decision making goes down as you get more and more tired and you don't have the perspective of fully what's going on like you know when someone's standing off court the heart rate is much lower and you have the full perspective and you're watching the game so just even those small tweaks like pj said of like look your percentage of winning is uh, on the backhand side when you do this way higher keep doing that and this is what i want you to focus on so um, has it affected players performance the fact that there is no one well, no because it's it's all equal right so well well depends on how important it is to some people over others I, right 100 percent has affected certain people Okay, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm getting at. 100%. I see, I see what you mean, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I can speak from my own experience. I had, when I used to play for England, David Pearson was my main technical coach. Paul Carter was my physical coach. I really struggled with the way that Dave Pearson spoke to me between games, and I would ask for Paul because he was much more of a calming influence, and he pulled me through certain matches that I guarantee you would have lost had it not been with that with some help from from paul carter so there's been certain tournaments and matches and and games where the the coaches have helped pull their player through without a shadow of a doubt and, and paul will attest to that i'm sure he's come through some wins when you are really struggling and you're physically you know at your wits end and you can't push anymore someone like rob might be able to motivate him or say certain things that will just change your psyche a little bit and, and and turn those matches around all right guys wrapping it up i appreciate it interesting we'll see how this this went we'll uh we'll see if we want to go forward with this i think unfortunately we've gone through every topic i don't know if there are any more topics in squash so i don't know if we could do this again actually so we'll see i love the optimism bill all right guys thanks <laughs>